When I left you last week, we were talking about keeping the main thing the main thing. And I think I set myself up for this particular message, not that it was intentional, but Mark 13 deals with the end times. Now, how many of you know that's not really that controversial of a topic in the church world? Um, I'm, I'm joking. It's like major controversial topic. And what I'm trying to avoid in our church family is being like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the religious nitpickers, all right? Do you know what a religious nitpicker is? Nitpickers are always making non-essential things essential. And so let me just say right out of the gate, recognizing that the body of Christ has a variety of interpretations on how the end is going to play out, all right? Let me clearly state that eschatology should never separate you from fellowship with other people who love Jesus. Here's what's essential. Jesus Christ is coming. If someone says Christ is not coming, that person you need to mark, all right? Because that's, Christ's return is critical. And, And I just want to say this, what makes Mark chapter 13 have the authority that it has is because Two chapters later, we're we're recognizing the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How many of you know the resurrection of Christ and his second coming go hand in glove? Because Jesus says, as surely as I have risen from the grave, I'm coming back. And so if the resurrection doesn't take place, then what we're talking about here today is just conjecture. But I'm telling you what we're talking about here today has the authority of heaven on it. Uh, because it comes from the one who has conquered the grave. His name is Jesus. That's why what we celebrate together next weekend is so critical. It's foundational, because if Christ has not risen, we are dead in our sins, and we are hopeless. Amen? But if he's alive, we are prisoners of hope, and we should be the most joy-filled, hope-filled, positive, faith-filled, productive people on planet Earth. And so here's my goal today as we dive into Mark chapter 13 is we are going to keep the main thing the main thing. So I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. I want you to let out a deep breath and exhale. I want you to put a smile on your face. Usually a smile and Christians and end times do not go together, but we're going to put a smile on your face. And I want you to tell your neighbor, Jesus Christ is coming, all right? Just tell them that. Encourage them this morning. That is the main thing. Now open your Bibles to... Mark 13, chapter, or chapter 13, verse 1. And I want to start reading. It says, as Jesus was leaving the temple that day. Now, remember, that day means he, it was the same day as what happened at the end of chapter 12. What happened at the end of chapter 12? Jesus started pointing out the act of faith by the widow who gave everything that she had. Remember that from last Sunday. Jesus stopped everybody and pulled the guys together and said, check out that act right over there. He was impressed by this woman's sacrificial, radical love and her radical generosity. So as they were leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. They're in the temple. Look at these impressive stones in the walls. Now, these magnificent buildings and impressive stones they were referring to were not Solomon's temple. They were not the rebuilt temple under Nehemiah and Ezra. This was Herod's temple. Herod uh, was building this temple and his family to uh, demonstrate to the Jews, to try to curry favor with the Jews and to be on the good side with the Jews. Uh, And he wanted to build them a really, really great temple that they would be impressed with. Now, let me just put this into context. There, There are people today who estimate that the 
the price, the value of Herod's temple was around a trillion dollars in modern currency. It was the most magnificent building that human beings have ever constructed. Let me give you some, some background on this. There were gates, brass gates, 130 feet high. There were stones. Think about this, given the, the, the modern technology we have, and think all the way back in Jesus' day. There were stones that were cut that were 40 feet long and 20 feet thick, a single stone. And they were, they were put together so perfectly that you could, you could not insert a knife blade in between the stones. That's the kind of precision and the kind of craftsmanship that was in this temple. So the, the disciples are in awe. They're, they're like, wow, this is incredible. How many of you know you should be in awe of that kind of craftsmanship? Now, let me just quickly say, Jesus wasn't impressed with, with this structure because how many of you know he just cleaned the temple the, the chapter before? I just want to say this. Beautiful buildings with no Holy Spirit and no presence of God are not impressive to the Lord. He'd rather have us out under a tree worshiping Jesus with all of our hearts than in some type of gorgeous facility absent of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know most of the beautiful facilities in Europe in this day are now discotheques and museums because the Holy Spirit left a long time ago? Now, how many of you believe we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? It's possible to have a beautiful facility with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we're not building buildings for building's sake, hallelujah, but we are building facilities that house God's people in the presence of the Lord. But how many of you know that's the essential thing? Jesus wasn't all that impressed with the building. In fact, he said something pretty radical in verse 2. Check, t take a look at verse 2 with me. Jesus replied, yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. How's that for a, a Debbie Downer moment right there? <laughs> Not one stone will be left on top of another. Jesus is beginning to prophesy. Now, let me, let me give you a word about prophecy. I guess the best illustration, these are not bifocals, but pretend like these were bifocals. How many of you know bifocals, prefix bi, that means two. They serve two functions. They help people like me read things close and see things far. Amen? Prophecy is like prophetic bifocals. Jesus is speaking about situations that are going to happen. In fact, he says later, in some of your all, you will see this happen in your lifetime. He's talking about future events that are near, but he's also talking about future events that are far. It's both. And sometimes when you're reading prophetic passages, you can get lost in, is he talking about something near, something far off, something present, something future, something already, something not yet? But what Jesus is talking about in the near future is the fall of Jerusalem and the total destruction of the temple by the Roman general Titus. This happened, of course, in 70 A.D. Verses 14 through 18 speak directly to this horrific slaughter that took place. And we know from Josephus, one of the Jewish historians, that nearly a million Jews were tortured, starved, murdered over a four-month period, and that the atrocities that were committed were just unspeakable. That was literally the fall of Jerusalem, and the temple was completely destroyed. That temple, by the way, that stone was covered in gold. It was, that's, where, that's where the trillion dollars comes from. We're talking about a magnificent structure. If you go to Jerusalem even today, you see massive stones that were probably pushed over uh, by the temple area there. You see the Wailing Wall that was a foundation. That was just the foundation of the temple, a massive structure. Um, and what Jesus said and prophesied absolutely came true in history. 
But I want you to see something. This is where people have questioned the veracity of Jesus. In verse 30, uh, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. So Jesus was basically saying there are some people alive right now that will see this gorgeous temple. Now let me just give you another, another uh, prophetic historical backdrop on this building. This temple, the construction of it started 20 years before Jesus was born. And then after he was born, it went on another 45 years of construction. I mean, you know, this is a massive, massive project. That, I'm sorry, 34 years that took place. So altogether, we have a 54-year building project that Jesus says in just a moment. In fact, historically, right as the project's completed, the judgment falls, and there's not one stone left on another. Now, certain atheists have said Jesus was wrong. He didn't predict this right because uh, there, there isn't a generation there alive to see his return, but he wasn't talking about his final end-time return. He was talking about the destruction of the temple. Uh, so Jesus is absolutely accurate in what he's talking about. Um, take a look at what happens next. The disciples begin to do what you and I would do. They begin to ask questions. When is this going to happen? What is this look like. And I want you to know uh, they're, they're looking for what are the signs that we should be looking for. Um, the signs that Jesus gives are signs that have been happening since Christ walked on planet earth. What you need to understand is that these signs are going to intensify. The, the metaphor that Jesus uses is a woman who is pregnant and moving towards uh, the birth of a child. Any ladies in here that have, uh, that have given birth recently, you all know about transition labor. When things start to get really interesting, that means you have a little gift right on the horizon, a little son or a little daughter that's coming. But as the pregnancy progresses, things get more intense. The labor pains get, uh, get closer and closer together. I'm already talking way over my head, but my wife can vouch for me that I was there. I watched this happen many times. All right. So what are the signs that we need to be looking for? Sign number one is demonic deception. Look at what Jesus replied in verse 5. He said, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. So as we're moving toward the second coming of Jesus, how many of you know there's going to be more and more deception on planet Earth? We're already living in a great age of deception. I mean, no, you're deceived when you can't define what a man or a woman is. That's deception. Uh, we have all kinds of crazy deception, things that are absolutely irrational, uh, unscientific, all over the place. But we're talking about people who are going to claim that they're the Messiah, people that are going to claim that they're somebody special. Uh, and, of course, this happened right after Jesus was crucified in the first century of the church there. Lots of, lots of deceivers came up. But here's what I want to challenge you with. Again, we're trying to keep the main thing the main thing. There are Christians that when you start talking about the last days, they start freaking out. Because when the Bible says people are going to be deceived, they start acting like all the disciples sitting around the table when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? You know, am I the one? And people freak out about being deceived. Can I just encourage you that if fear is ever a part of your response, that's not part of the kingdom of God. And I just want to say that again. As we talk about the last days, fear should be nowhere inside of your being unless you're misunderstanding the main thing. There are people that are more afraid of being deceived than they have confidence in the Holy Spirit's ability to keep them. And, I, and this is a little theological point here, but I, I need to bring it out. I understand free will, and I understand uh, our ability to 
endure to the end. But can I just tell you something? My hope and confidence are not relying on my ability, emphasis on my. My confidence lies in the belief that the one who began the good work in me will finish it until the day of salvation. I, I am leaning on the Holy Spirit not on my own strength or my own ability to make great choices. Uh, I'm relying on the God who began the work in me to finish the work in me. And so look at what the Apostle Paul said. He said that deception comes when our love grows cold. Now, this is interesting. We could say, well, deception comes when my mind stops gathering facts or information. That's not what he said. Your deception can come over you not when your mind grows cold, but when your fiery passion for Jesus grows cold. It's the Holy Spirit that keeps us close to the Lord, that keeps us from moving in a spirit of deception. And if your relationship with God has grown cold, now you're a candidate to be deceived. You're not a candidate to be deceived when your passion for God and your walk with God is where it needs to be. Look at what Paul said, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. He said, deception comes because they refused to love the truth and to be saved. Instead, he goes down to verse 12, instead of loving what is good and true, they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, let me just say, the battle on planet earth is always a battle for the human heart, and it's a battle for what you are going to delight in and take pleasure in most. Please hear what I just said. How many of you have wrestled with your flesh ever in your life? I'm raising both hands and one foot. I'd raise my other one, but I would fall down. How many of you know we constantly struggle with our flesh? And that's the battle. So the battleground is the human heart. The Bible says that people gave up their love, their passion for truth. I mean, you know, Jesus is the truth, so we're talking not just about the Bible and, and written truth, inspired truth. We're talking about the person of Christ. How many know the, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth? Amen? So we're talking about a relationship uh, that is alive and, and fiery. But he says, in the last days, people will love unrighteousness. Now, I just want to mess with you a little bit this morning. We should not be picking around uh, with the carnal pleasures of the world when there are superior pleasures to be found in Jesus. I'm talking about those areas where Christians say, well, you know, I, I didn't get drunk. Well, you know, I, I watched, but I didn't touch. You ever hear that one? It's okay to watch, we just can't act on what we just saw. Or, you know, it's, this, is, this is permissible. It might not be beneficial, but it's permissible. And so we live in the shadows or the gray areas of the grace of God, and we use the grace of God to actually reinforce our compromise and our carnality. Those are the people that need to watch out, because I'll tell you what makes your passion for Jesus grow cold is your love for the world. It's your love for counterfeit pleasures. It's your love, it's your focus off of mission and getting involved in things that don't matter on the grand scheme of things. It's playing around under the guise of Christian liberty with a lot of stuff that won't necessarily send you to hell, but it will dull your affection for God and cause you to be numb when you should be on fire and open you up to be deceived when you shouldn't be deceived if your relationship with the Holy Spirit was what it's supposed to be. So quit fearing the devil 
and start focusing on falling in love with Jesus. When you, and when we come together on Sunday morning, we, we, if we talk about keep the main thing the main thing, here's the main thing. Is your heart full of love for Christ? Is, have you driven compromise out of your life? Have you repented of known sin? Have you surrendered yourself in worship and loved Jesus in worship so that there's a sense of assurance in your heart that you know you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God and that you love Jesus when you're leaving? you're more in touch and more in tune and more in love with Jesus than when you came here. That's your assignment every Sunday. That's the main thing, the main thing. So stop focusing on being afraid of deception and focus on walking in love for God Almighty. Look at what it says. Great quote here. Protection against deception is not just assenting to the truth, but loving the truth. The devil is smarter than you as it relates to the scriptures. Remember, he used them on Jesus. But the devil doesn't love the truth. The devil hates the truth. What you believe is worthless unless it translates into love. I have known people who will argue the nitpicky aspects of doctrine, the fine points of doctrine, and be as mean as a rattlesnake but argue in their pride of their grasp of doctrine and at the same time have a hidden pornography problem. Now, can I just pop your bubble? God could care less what a smarty pants you think you are. He's omniscient, which means he knows everything. So why am I going to try to be Mr. Doctrinal Know-it-all when I should be focusing on how about this? How about my marriage? How about my anger problem? How about my lust problem? I don't want to get in arguments with Pharisees when the truth that they claim to have hasn't even transformed who they are on the inside. Now, let me, let's talk about the main thing. What is the main thing to the Lord? How we look on the outside or what's going on on the inside? I'll tell you what he cares about. He cares about your heart. And he cares about the fire. And he, you know, the Bible says, Paul said, Demas has deserted me for he has loved the world. We are living, I'll tell you what our biggest challenge in America is our remaining prosperity. It's our biggest enemy because complacency and blessing and ease will cause you to miss out on the moment of what God's trying to do in our lives. And we have, and please hear me, I'm not glorifying poverty. You know, you know us better than that. Here's what I'm saying. We need the Holy Spirit to help us live in a land of blessing and to steward what God has given us so that the blessings and the freedoms and the liberties are not used to destroy us in the process. And so guard your heart from worldliness. If you want to stay out of the deception zone, quit living in compromise and be ruthless with sin or anything that keeps you from a passion for God. Now smile at your neighbor and say, that's good preaching right there from our pastor. Just tell him, it's good preaching. (laughs) If anyone tells you, look at verse 21, look, here's the Messiah. Oh no, there's the Messiah. Don't believe it. For false messiahs, everybody say false. False. And false prophets, say false. false. Will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out. I've warned you about this ahead of time. Now, 
I'm just going to mess with you here this morning. I had you say the words false because I was sitting at a table. I went to a conference, and there was a bunch of pastors, and they came from all different denominational stripes. But I was sitting at a table with a cessationist pastor. Now, that's just a fancy word that means this pastor doesn't believe in the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit. The gifts are not operative today. God doesn't heal today. God does not deliver today. Those were all things that were under the other dispensation. And the reason God doesn't do this, are you ready? The reason God stopped acting that way way is that we now have the Bible. And, and so because we have the Bible, because we have the Bible, uh, church, this is what he was saying, churches, he didn't know he was saying this to me because he had no idea what our church was like, but he's basically saying those churches that get off into the crazy stuff, <laughs> those signs and wonder churches, watch out. He said, those churches are going to fall into deception in the end times. I respectfully replied, you guys would have been proud of me. <laughs> I said, my brother, I said, I'm afraid it's going to be just the opposite. Um, because listen, I've even heard people say, it's immature to expect signs and wonders. We have the Bible. Can I just ask you a question? If things are going to heat up, and get more intense the closer, the birth pains are getting tighter and more intense. Do we need more of the Holy Spirit or less of the Holy Spirit? And do, are signs and wonders that we read about through the entire Bible demonic and counterfeit? Or are they demonstrations of the fact that we serve a living and powerful God who is still moving in the earth today? So we're supposed, to, we're supposed to throw the Holy Spirit out so that we don't fall into deception? Are you crazy? You absolutely fall into deception if you don't have a personal, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit who is God. We need the Holy Spirit. Don't freak out. Oh, that's a, mir a miracle happened. Oh, my gosh. That was the devil. I don't want to go to that church. I'm going to be deceived. No, we're, we haven't. We are so weak on our experience of the power of God that whenever God does anything, we think that it was the devil. Come on. We need to be moving in greater glory. And I believe the church will be in greater size, greater wonders, greater demonstrations of the power of God. Because I'm telling you, as things move towards the birth, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what my wife's doing when she's in transition labor. Is she praying more? Is she more reliant on the Holy Spirit or less? I'll tell you the answer. She's going, hallelujah. Jesus, thank you for your grace. <laughs> yeah, she's doing all the heavy breathing. Oh, no, she's crying out. She wants the power and the presence of God to help get this baby out. I can just see the Holy Spirit helping birth the kingdom when it's coming in his fullness. And uh, so stop falling into this trap. Oh, my gosh, they're praying for people. Is that one of these deception churches? You're supposed to pray for people to get healed. You're supposed to cast out devils. This is New Testament gospel. <laughs> yes. We need you. We love you. We want you. 
I'm glad I'm at the right church. Hallelujah. Look at verse 26. How will we know when the Messiah comes? Will they be saying, hey, you guys, the Messiah is showing up at 711 Pratt Street in the kitchen, 7 o'clock. Everybody come. No, it's not how it works. That's my address, by the way. I'm not, I'm not the false Messiah. <laughs> Look at verse 26. Then everyone, everybody say everyone. Everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power. How many of you know when Christ returns, no one's going to be like, oh, I was in the bathroom. I missed it. What happened? <laughs> no. This is such a glorious, cataclysmic, apocalyptic, wow, shock and awe moment. And the whole world is going to know it. You won't be like, ah, oh, we were on vacation. No, it's not going to be like that. Second point, as you can tell, I'm having some fun with you guys. Thank you. Point number two, I'm trying to keep the main thing the main thing. Point number two, there's going to be global turmoil. You saw some of it on the video. As you will hear of wars and threats of wars, don't panic. Turn to your neighbor and just say, don't panic. Tell them seriously, don't panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, and kingdom will go against kingdom. And how many of you know the Bible says everything that can possibly be shaken is going to be shaken? Now, again, I meet some people, they are so devil-focused that every time there's something on the news, pass around, what do you think? Living in the end times. Yeah, we've been living in the end times since Jesus. We've been living in the end times. Pass around. Hey, you know, look at, what do you think about China. They're lost. They're communist government. They're atheists. They need Jesus. That's what I think about China. They need Jesus. What about this guy? What, I don't know. I, I, all I know is I'm not panicking about anything. Do you know that the kingdom of God is right thinking, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit? If you're one of these people that every time you watch the news, fear grips your heart. Oh, my gosh. How are we going to raise kids in this culture? Stop it. You're going to raise world-changing, Holy Ghost-filled kids. That's what you're going to do. That's what you're going to do. Don't panic. And here's why I don't panic. Jesus said, these things, ready for this, must take place. Do you know that when God says something must take place, it means he is in charge? Do you know, please hear me. The entire end time scenario is being orchestrated by God, not the devil. People that are devil-focused are missing the main point. The climax of all of human history is meant to exalt the greatness of the Son, not to cause us to panic about the Antichrist or the mark of the... You know, when COVID came out, people started, Christians, started getting weird. <laughs> the jab, I heard it. The jab is the, the mark of the beast. If you put your hand under a certain kind of light, you see things under your hand and stop it. It's not helpful to the cause. <laughs> when we start acting that way, anytime something remember Mikhail Gorbachev? He had a mark, he's the guy with the mark on his head. The mark of the beast. He's dead now. <laughs> Nothing happened. 
Stop it. Your focus is wrong. Get your focus on God. When Jesus says these things must happen, what he's saying is, I'm in charge. I am in charge. I prophesy my death and my resurrection. I also prophesy my second coming. Uh, so how many know we can chill out? Have you ever been in the, on a vacation and you just pull out of your driveway, all the snacks that you purchased for the trips, the kids have eaten all of them. Uh, and, uh, and you're not to the stop sign. And they're asking you questions. How much farther? Hey, what? Oh, God. I'm the, I'm, and I, and I, I just try, I'm trying to be God behind the wheel. I'm like, hey, okay, hey, I'm in charge. I know where we're going. And when I get there, you'll know. And then we'll live happily ever after and we'll have treats that will last forever. But in the meantime, don't touch your sister and quit asking me questions. And no, we're not going to the bathroom. You were supposed to go before we got in the car. You guys know what I'm talking about. This is like the church of Jesus Christ. We're eating all the snacks. We're wondering, hey, let's have another Bible study about when Jesus is coming. Oh, my God. Well, oh, I'm so afraid. Stop it. I want to encourage you. Resist in time hysteria. The latest news item. Wah! If I ask Christians, hey, what would you guys like the next sermon series to be on? Most Christians, I already know what they tell me. Let's do the book of Revelation. Let's talk about the end times. I want to convince you that by the time we're done with this passage, you will see that that's not really the proper focus. Not that it's not a place for that to happen, but it's not the main focus. And so let me keep building my case. This one will probably irritate some people, but... You only go around once in life. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Environmental disasters. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains. There's more to come. Now, let me just say, Romans chapter 8 says that the planet has been subjected by God to a curse. It's groaning right now. In other words, how many know the planet Earth and the cosmos is not as God originally intended it? It is groaning under the curse, which means you're going to have warm fronts colliding with cold fronts, and you're going to have really bad weather like we just had two days ago. It means there's going to be all kinds of environmental stuff going on. And let me tell you what is deception. The global warming hoax is deception. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. When is the last time you ever heard a scientist with a differing position talk about why all the alarmist activity is not scientific and should not cause us any concern? When have you ever heard that? Now, there's voices out there. I mean, you know, we didn't hear any of these during COVID either. Because we have an agenda that's being pushed. Now, let me tell you why it concerns me. Because our focus as we move closer to the second coming and things are getting crazy should not be for us to go, oh, my gosh, we have to stop using plastic straws and save Mother Earth. That is a massive deception. Oh, man, we got people trying to take away your gas stove. Thank God they haven't got to Indiana yet. But can I just tell you something? This is a deception because here's what it is. 
we're trying to get our eyes off the birth pangs that are going to intensify and, and, and manifest in the environment, and we're going to try to blame you guys for the problem, and then human saviors are in little white lab coats are going to rescue us and save Mother Earth. This is pagan blasphemy. What was meant to turn our eyes to Jesus and to cause lost people to be shaken so that they're looking for people that are still happy and in their right minds and running to the church for answers are now going, now you, you guys are going to be the enemies, all right? All of you that have cows that pass gas, if you have plastic, plastic straws, if you have a gas stove, ah, you saw how people freaked out during COVID. They thought you, you know, anybody that didn't want to get a shot, my God, they thought you were the Antichrist. Here's the good news. This insanity is going to increase and intensify as we get closer to the end. Birth pains. Let me go to the next one. This is going to get worse. If I haven't offended you yet, it's going to get worse. Look at point number four. <laughs> this is a cuss word among Christians. Persecution. Mm. Religious persecution. Political persecution and domestic persecution. Look at what Jesus says in verse 9. When these things begin to happen, watch out. You're going to be handed over to local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You're going to stand trial before governors and kings because you're my followers. But this is going to be your opportunity to tell them about me. A brother will betray his brother to death, and a father will betray his own child, and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you're my followers. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, can I just say something? I've been in churches where if you just suggested that the church might go through a little bit of rough times, they accused you of being a heretic, your end-time eschatology was all wrong, and, you, and here's, here's what this is rooted in. It's not rooted in theology. It's rooted in fear of pain, fear of discomfort. Do you know we're one of the few nations on the whole of planet Earth that still lives relatively unmolested um, by the larger surrounding culture? When you go to most places in the world, there are believers who have paid a price for their faith. And I just want to ask you a question. Why do you think we'd get the economy class fare getting in? Why, why don't, does anybody maybe want to have the privilege of having to stand up for what you believe in the face of persecution and actually consider that a reward and not a punishment? How many of you know there's, there's, you should never feel sorry for a martyr because on the next side, when it matters, they're getting celebrated and rewarded for their devotion to Jesus. Why in the world should we let fear tell us and dictate our theology that somehow we're out of here and we're never going to deal with any discomfort, anybody not liking us? There's so many churches, all they're concerned about is everybody liking them. And Jesus just said, everybody's going to hate your guts. So what church are you going to be a part of? The everybody likes me church or the everybody hates me church? Now, I get it. That's a terrible marketing slogan, you know. Hey, <laughs> come to our church. We're the church everybody hates. But Jesus is talking here. What it means is there's something about the lifestyle of real Christians that the world's not going to like. And if they do like you, there might be something questionable about your devotion to Jesus. That's all I'm saying. Let me get another. I'm, I'm on a roll, and I got to, oh, my goodness, that clock. 
Here's something I'm just going to tell you. Don't, please don't come up and say this to me. Cause I, I'll be nice, but I, I'm not going to talk to you. All right. <laughs> I run into people all the time. They watch a headline. Something happens, this, that. And then they say, Pastor Ron, do you believe Jesus is coming really soon? And you don't want to hear my answer. I'm going to pop your balloon. No. You don't? Well, let's read the Bible. How many of you know the Great Com- Commission has to become the Great Completion? So look at verse 10. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. So here's what I think Jesus would be saying. Hey, you know, Pastor Dick, appreciate the question. But you're wanting to go to Disneyland, but I told you to clean your room. Like, do the task first. Like, do the commission. Finish the job. All right, I knew you would. He's a willing participant, all right? Let's finish the job. Well, what's the job, Pastor? How many know there there are nations with less than 2% believers with no no churches that are waiting to hear the gospel, many of them for the first time? And how many know that's really important to God? And so how about this? Why don't we get our eyes off end-time panic, hysteria, marking the day, and why don't we get focused on a real target? Like there's still 70 major nations of the world that are considered unreached. They're waiting for the church to just obey Jesus and to go. And let me tell you something else about these nations. They're not easy to get into. You're not celebrated when you get there. You'll probably be persecuted, and it's not a cakewalk. It's actually very dangerous. But, but we pop everybody's bubble. But Jesus is waiting for us to get the job done. And so everybody's like, hey, you think it's tomorrow? No. How about the day after? No. How about we focus on what we're supposed to be doing and keep the main thing the main thing and not get distracted? Remember when Jesus ascended, what were they doing? They were looking up in the sky going, hey, Jesus, uh, when are you going to come back? And then the angel said, why are you guys staring at the sky? You heard what he said, go into all nations, make disciples of all nations, lead your neighbor to Christ, invite your unsaved people out to the Resurrection Sunday service. Let's be about the gospel. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. He's really being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed wants everyone to repent. You know, I shared this morning, there was somebody that got saved this morning. Aren't you glad Jesus waited a little longer? There might be somebody here right now. This is your first Sunday here. And providentially, I'm preaching out of Mark 13 because that was just what came after Mark 12, which is where we were last week. And the Lord's heart is calling out to you saying, hey, I'm crying out that, yes, the end is coming, but in the meantime, there's an opportunity for you to submit your life to me because I love you, and I don't want anyone to miss this opportunity. What a Savior we have. Look at Matthew 24, 14. The good news of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So I'm just telling you where my default position is. And even on this point, Christians disagree. We can still love each other. I'm just telling you where I'm coming from. I don't want to talk about the day and the time and when and are we closer and is it the day after tomorrow. I just want to keep the main thing the main thing. And let's get serious about reaching lost people. Amen? Well, one last comment, and then we're already out of time. We're actually already out of time, but 
Can you guys just give me a couple more minutes? All right. Ready for this? Avoid dating Jesus. What do we mean by that? Don't get deceived into putting times and dates and years on when Christ is returning. Some of you, were. this was before your time, but it was, it was right after I graduated college. 1988, a NASA rocket engineer wrote this booklet called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. He recalculated after that did not come true, <laughs> and he came out with a second edition, which was called September of 1989. And then that didn't age very well. And then he came out with the 1993 prediction. And then the 1994 prediction. And he died in 2001. And I'm guessing that that book is out of print. All right, I'm just guessing. Because this is what the Bible says in verse 32. No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son of God himself. Now, that is a mind-boggling passage. Only the Father knows. So can I tell you something? Stop dating Jesus because it's foolishness. It's unbiblical. This is what Jesus said. Since you don't know when the time will come, be on guard and stay alert. And he told a parable to end this chapter. And the parable said, don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives. Alert, on guard, on assignment. Amen? Living in joy and peace and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, not panicking, freaking out, or stargazing, but keeping our target clear. We're going to love each other. Can I get an Amen. We're going to love Jesus. We're going to love the Holy Spirit. We're going to love the Father. We're going to love the Word of God. We're going to love our neighbors. But we're going to be on assignment with smiles on our face until the Lord returns. Now, could we see him return in our lifetime? Absolutely. But let's be about our Father's business, not sitting around arguing about the fine points of whose eschatological scheme is most accurate. Keep the main thing the main thing. Amen. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Then we're going to go eat some pork to the glory of God and go hug some great people. Don't forget to hug some great people on your way out, all right? Father, thank you for the good news. Jesus is coming. And thank you for the promised victory between now and then, the victory of your church in defeating every enemy and subduing them under your feet. Lord, let the unreached nations hear the good news. Let every nation be reached in our lifetime. And Lord, let Living Stones Church have the privilege of being a part of that great end-time harvest. May we be harvest-focused people, not devil-focused people. May we be truth-focused people, not deception-focused. May we be lovers, Lord, and not compromisers. We pray all this in your mighty name. And everybody said... Amen. Love you all. Have a great day. If you need prayer, come on down, all right?